Welcome to the Brown County Hour. Coming to you from the legendary hills of Brown. Where the plum purple haze, the one nature herself drapes in the hills and hollers, inspires local characters, artists, and nature lovers. It's as though the hills themselves conspire to create a beauty and a culture in the heart of Indiana. Sit for a spell and hear the music, the tall tales, the true stories, and the current goings-on. Brought to you by folks who still know how to sit by a fire in winter and swim buck naked in the summer. Welcome to Episode 4 of the Brown County Hour, our winter show coming to you as the deep freeze of 2011 melts slowly through Valentine's Day into spring. I'm your host, Keith Kelly. Julia Pearson, Museum Director of the Brown County Historical Society, explains some differences between now and then. Welcome to Then and Now, the Brown County History Center part of the facts and frolics of this hour. An occasional fact is like cleats in this frozen time of the year. Keeps you upright and sometimes out of trouble. Think you have cabin fever? What if you were in a cabin winter of 1840 and it snowed you in for two weeks? At least no problem with electricity. Just need to cut the wood ahead of time like that proverbial ant. Sometimes when the fire went out and there were no matches or flint, Somebody had to walk to the neighbors and then carry back those hot coals home in a bucket. With few room dividers in the early pioneer days, those days in the snow times were filled with checkers, popcorn, hot coffee, or tea. Mmm. The uncle or a daddy played the guitar or fiddle. Hymns like the old rugged cross or camptown races would come out through those windows. Of course, many sang the songs of the patriots in courtship. Remember this one? Froggy went a courtin', he did go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, down to meet Miss Mousie, so, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, if you could make up new lines about the family, you put in, Jimmy went a courtin', he did go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, ridin' old Bessie kinda slow, mm-hmm. Long before St. Valentine's Day, Hallmark and Twitter, boys and girls and men and women's, they gave each other that look. This triggered it, doesn't it? A hint of a smile and a turn of the head, trying to hide that increased pulse in your neck and the beating of heart sounds. We didn't have electronic strings in things, so that courting was might slower. In fact, One boy wanted to kiss his girl on the third time, together on the porch swing. But he remembered Mom and Dad were upstairs, just 25 feet away. So he whispered, May I kiss you real quiet? And she turned to look at him. No response, and he tried it again. May I kiss you real quiet? Still no response. So... He reached out and took her by the shoulders and almost shouted, at least next to the whisper, and he said, May I kiss you? And she said, Are you paralyzed or something? Well, one disadvantage of cold weather, 
besides trying to keep warm, was to marry in the dead of winter and then attempt to put off the chivalry till spring. Now, a chivalry was a noisy celebration of friends and family that took place on the wedding night of a loved one. The celebration was usually headed up by the brothers of the bride or another close male relative. It was kept secret from that happy couple, but was done to nearly every couple, so as I don't know how much of a secret it really was. I'm sure many happy couples hoped against hope that everyone had forgotten about them honoring them with the chivalry. This is how it went. After the wedding reception, and after the newlyweds retired for the night, All their kinfolk and friends would gather together and surprise the couple with a noisy and raucous welcome into married life. The best time to start a chivalry was after the newlyweds turned out the lights, usually around midnight or a little later, and then you get them settled all nice. Well, then they would on cue start hollering at the top of their lungs, banging on pots and pans, setting off firecrackers, beating on windows and doors and throwing pebbles at them, hollering out the names of the newlyweds and yelling, Shivery! 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 But sometimes they'd force the door open and have cold wind blowing sound for a spell and gather up the bridegroom and rough him up a little. Now the secret to a good chivalry is to give them time and other things on their mind to let them go and then let them fall asleep. Of course, ornery brothers cannot usually wait too long. In fact, in the South now, they still do things to your car, like hook up the horn to the brake lights or firecrackers to the start and warn you when it comes on. What did they do in the dead of winter with the wind and snow blowing across the creek or up the holla? Well, Abe Martin always said, anybody who gets romantic about pioneering and farming ain't never done it. Abe Martin has a warning for new grooms. The honeymoon is over when you forget and use the embroidered company towels. Now Rick Fedig interviews our featured musician, Frank Jones, owner of Calzone Jones Restaurant. I hear you've been busy lately. Well, I have been. As you know, I own a restaurant here in town, Calzone Jones, and it's it's been a busy year for us with that. Last August 1st, we had our CD release party at the Brown County Inn, which was very successful, and uh, we got a lot of really good exposure for the CD at that point. I had a lot of good help with it. This is your first album? Yeah, you've yeah, done? it wow. is. It's, Did uh, you write all the songs? Uh, most of them. Uh, one was by a very dear friend of mine, the late Bill Wilson, and there was another song that uh, my brother Dickie wrote. Bill wrote Indiana's Indiana, song. Yeah, yeah, I like that song. Dickie was the writer for Just Another Night in the city most of these songs did you have like a concept or did you get a like a one-liner in your brain that you yeah. had to write around or a, actually there was there you was write a, from the lyrics right i do write a lot from the lyric and country sons i actually finished as i was in the recording process uh, when we first started that process out to do the cd the song was just a concept and as you said it was just a couple good lines mm-hmm. i finally sat down started putting things on paper and when I did that the floodgates opened the song came out in about 40 minutes 
Frame the houses where the nation rests its head. We deploy the danger zone where angels fear to tread. Cook the corn and sugar in the deep Kentucky hills and pull the cash for food and gas before we pay the bills to just one. One of the country's sons One of the restless ones One of the country's sons Keep the traffic moving When the signal's going down All in all, 18 wheels, hell bent from town to town. Educate the children as we live on paupers' plates. Only tips and 213 running specials of the day. We just won. One of the country sounds. One of the restless one One of the country sounds I'm just praying for tomorrow Just to get me through the night Dreaming of the day to come Looking east to the country light Keep the traffic moving When the signal's going down Haul it all on 18 wheels Hillbend from town to town Brave the hills and elements To get the kids to school on time Take a light and lunch pail To the bottom of a mine We just won One of the country sons and daughters One of the restless sons and daughters One of the country sons and daughters Now our nature correspondent, Kaylee Witt, tells us a little about a very unique bird sport. Ho, ho, ho! Here you go, good boy! Yeah! Walking through the snow to flush a rabbit. Why? It is the sport of falconry. To learn more, I spoke with Laura Edmonds, a master falconer in Brown County. 
Falconry is an ancient sport, although a lot of people refer to it as an art, but it's an ancient sport in which a human being and a bird of prey go out hunting together. What types of birds are used in falconry? Well, for your apprenticeship, at this point in time, you can have kestrel, which is a very small falcon, or a red-tailed hawk. Owls and falcons of certain species can be used. What types of animals are hunted with falcons and other birds? It largely depends on what kind of bird you get. Say with a red-tailed hawk or a Harris hawk, you'd be going after rabbits. With Cooper's hawks and, and goshawks, you'd be going after do anything from rabbits on up to pheasant. When you get into your falcons and get into the duck species, any of the grouse species, you can actually even, in some cases, you can even hunt with a golden eagle. Needless to say, you have to be a master falconer for that, but you can hunt the the largest jackrabbits with that. How does one become a falconer today? First thing you need to do, if you're really interested in it, is read, read, read. Tons and tons of stuff out there to read. The second thing to do is that you need to get a sponsor. A sponsor who is a general or a master falconer who can take on an apprentice falconer. And your apprenticeship lasts about two years, and then after that you can go on to to become a general or a masterist. Once you have your sponsor, then you take a test that's sponsored by the state and the federal government after you pass the test. (laughs) Uh, You build your facility, and once your facility passes inspection, then you can apply for a band, and after you apply for the band, then you can go ahead and get your permit and then get a bird. It's it's kind of a long process. It takes anywhere from six months to a year, but uh, it is done all under the auspices of federal and state laws. In terms of being a falconer, it's not really a a hobby. It's more like a, a way of life because you have to be attentive to that bird. It's like having a child. You're totally responsible for that bird's life, and it changes the way you see things because uh, when you take a bird out hunting, you get to see in a ringside seat what happens in normal, everyday course of life when the food chain is in action and a a red-tailed hawk takes a, a rabbit. It's exactly the same way that it takes a rat. These birds are so important to farmers and anybody who owns any kind of land because the birds of prey really do cut down the rodent population. With Without the birds of prey out there, we would be so overrun with rodents, it would be just ridiculous food prices. Are there any other benefits of falconry? There's two main things. One is that all the falconry methods that we use today are, are also used in rehabilitation of injured and orphan birds of prey. Those same methods are used when you have education programs. You're able to use all those methods to fly the birds in front of the public so they'll get a full appreciation for how important birds of prey are to our environment and to us from an economic standpoint. Another really cool thing is that they're used at airports for controlling birds, uh, larger birds that fly. I'm sure you've heard of uh, Captain Sully who had to put his plane down in the middle of the Hudson River because he got a couple of geese in his engine. Uh, There are programs like the one at JFK Airport, where they do have a falconry program where at intervals during the day they send up a peregrine falcon or a jeer falcon to fly around. I can't imagine how many lives and how much money that, that those programs have solved. How popular is falconry in Brown County and Indiana? In Brown County, there's not a ton of falconers. I believe there's only one or two. In Indiana, there's around 80 or 90 of them. It's not super popular in Indiana, but it has a very strong organization here. 
And what organization is that? Oh, that would be the Indiana Falconers Association. They have become very active in the last few years. So every year we there's a big picnic in Brown County where um, the association meets for um, their annual meet, and it's just it's almost 100 percent attendance. It's a great place to talk to other falconers, uh, see their birds, just talk about falconry and have a lot of camaraderie. Falconry is a lifetime study on how to be polite to a bird. <laughs> To learn more, go to indianafalconersassociation.org. For the Brown County Hour, this is Kaylee Witt, Walking with Nature. Hear County Elder Hank Swain, author of Leaves for the Raking and Why Now, gives us some advice on how to be more frugal. Miss Essay was my eighth grade teacher. She was shaped like a pear with a stem attached. Her hair was in a bun, and she wore gold-rimmed glasses. I liked her, for she demanded from the students the most she could get out of them. She also had a rear-view mirror concealed in her bun so she could detect our mischief, even when she faced the blackboard. At the beginning of the year, she announced that we were going to learn a new word once a week to improve our vocabulary. After stating the new word, she would give us the rest of the period to write the story in which we were to use the word as many times as we could manage. She said this practice, the word would then be in our vocabulary as long as we lived. On this particular day, she chose the word frugal, which she said meant to save. Well, this is the story I turned in, but I will not share with you the grade I received. Many years ago, a beautiful young maiden was taking a morning walk along the shores of a lake near a castle. As the morning warmed, she decided to wade out into the lake to cool off. She lifted the billowing long skirt and walked slowly into the lake. The cool water felt so soothing she kept walking with her arms outstretched until the skirt floated up to them. She stumbled on something sending her off balance and into the water. The skirt kept her from swimming to shore so she shouted, Oh, frugal me, frugal me, please, frugal me, I'm drowning. Now a young prince happened to be taking a morning stroll down to the lake from his castle and heard her screams. He ran to the lake edge, swam out, and frugaled her right there in the water. He carried her to the beach where she clung to him, thanking again and again for frugaling her. The handsome young prince took her to his castle and with his mother's help and the application of many towels, was able to frugal her from her wet clothing. His kindness created an instant bond between them, and they fell in love, had a storybook wedding, and lived happily ever after. The prince, however, despite his good fortune, felt something was missing in his life. The satisfaction he felt after first frugaling his wife in the lake led him to wonder if he might not have a talent for frugaling. 
While walking along the lake one morning, he experienced an epiphany that affirmed his instincts. He did indeed have a gift for fergling. Well, how could he use this gift for the good of humanity? Well, he did what any upstanding prince would do. He was led to the financial markets. He established the Princely Fergling and Loan Bank. This enabled him to accept the fergalings of hundreds of his realm, plus paying him interest for the privilege. His bank prospered and his stature rose as a benign ruler. Well, Miss Essie was right. The word has stayed with me to this day, and I'm in my tenth decade. Although Miss Essie taught me to frugal in eighth grade, I didn't frugal very much until my early 20s, for I had little with which to frugal. Eventually, like the prince, I married a beautiful young maiden who was a committed frugaler. My wife and I have always been good frugalers. Just because you reach retirement, there's no reason to give up frugaling. One is never too old to enjoy the rewards of aggressing frugaling. It's a great habit to establish when you're young. Then there's that old saying, there's no frugaler like an old frugaler. My friends, this is my story I turned into Miss Eppy as best as I can recall. There's actually more to the story, but I frugaled it and sent it to Paul Harvey for his segment, The Rest of the Story. Unfortunately, Paul Harvey died before it aired. I've always wondered if he read it and if he was a frugaler. If he did, I'm sure he would have remembered it the rest of his life, but not as long as I have. And now, station identification. This just in. 8.40 a.m. Caller advises he is stuck in a chair. 11.46 p.m. Caller advises he's stuck in a chair. In our next segment, we go on location with reporters Pam Rader and Vera Grubbs as they interview director Marcia DeBach of the Literacy Coalition. The Brown County Literacy Coalition is a 501c3 tax-exempt organization. All of their funding comes from donations, and they don't get any help from outside of Brown County. 
about three quarters of our board members are active tutors in our tutoring programs in one program or another. All of our board members are involved in fundraising. Our budget is small. Those fundraisers that the organization sponsors and presents every year, like the book sale in the fall, uh, quiz bowl in the spring, and our new Mardi Gras, which will be coming up in March, our year-end appeal, any mail appeals we do, is unrestricted money. That's what pays salaries. Tell us about your tutoring programs. Okay. We have tutoring programs for different age groups and different academic levels. And then we also are partners with other organizations who need volunteers in delivering their literacy work. The first of those is Head Start. And Head Start is an organization that provides preschool for certain age children under kindergarten age because it's very important to read to children early. Children who are read too early have two-thirds more of a vocabulary when they enter into kindergarten than children who are not, and by being read to, that means at least 30 minutes per day. In the elementary schools, and particularly Helmsburg School, become focused on uh, first, second, and third graders in a pilot program at Helmsburg School that we started last year at all grades. And that pilot program tutors children for a little over an hour after school one day a week. Do you do other age groups too? We do other age groups on a, an appointment basis that wouldn't be after school on school site. It would be set up as a separate appointment. We have tutoring programs at the junior high school specifically in mathematics and then we have tutors on site in the high school during the day and then in the high school we provide tutors who work in the English labs. And what about adult literacy? Adult literacy is always by appointment. An adult will usually call us. We'll also have adults who are seeking their GED, but they're having problems with certain components of the GED. We have an adult literacy program for inmates incarcerated in Brown County Jail who have not graduated from high school and want to pursue their GED. We have very specialized volunteers who work with them on a weekly basis in order to prepare them to take their GED. How many volunteers do you have on board at this time? Right now, active volunteers would be 45 to 50 active volunteers who are active at least one hour a week. So how would a person get involved volunteering or if they wanted their child for tutoring? Two ways. You could call the office at 988-6960 or you can email us at literacy underscore coalition, C-O-A-L-I-T-I-O-N at yahoo.com. Those are the two ways. Or stop by. Or stop by the office mornings between Mondays and Thursdays. 930 to 1130 in the lower level of the library. Tell us about your upcoming event. Our upcoming event is a Mardi Gras, and it's town-wide. It has two parts. Uh, One is from 3 to 6 in the afternoon on March 5th, which is a Saturday. Uh, Hopefully we'll all have a good time. So from 3 to 6, there will be a couple of things going on. People will be able to go from one retailer to another, places where they have beverages and also places where they can pick up tokens that are Mardi Gras appropriate, like masks and beads and 
and all that stuff. And and they'll actually be going and getting tastes of Southern cooking, Louisiana cooking, Cajun cooking, as well as signature beverages, non-alcoholic. This is family-friendly Mardi Gras here in Brown County. But they'll get signature beverages that the restaurants have put together in order to make it fun. At 4 o'clock, there will be a parade down Main Street, and we're soliciting nominations for King and Queen. It has to be an adult uh, couple. That will take place right at 4, uh, but everything will go on until 6. One of the fun spots to uh, stop into will be our rendition of the Preservation Hall Jazz, Dixieland Jazz, over at the Coachlight Theater, and I think they're changing their name to The Palace. Uh, and you'd be able to go in there for a 15-minute set, get some Dixieland music. Then at 8 o'clock, we have a Zydeco dance party at the Brown County Inn from 8 till 10, although we can go later if the crowd is big enough. And there there'll be a cash bar, but we'll also have complimentary coffees and king cake, and there'll be a silent auction there, all for the benefit of the Brown County Literacy Coalition. Well, we'll all be ready. Costumes are wildly encouraged. We just want to keep it clean, because it is family down. So, <laughs> Okay, thank you very much. This is Vera Grubbs and Pam Rader for Brown County Radio Hour, and we've been talking to Marcia DeBach of the Literacy Coalition. Thank you for asking me. Let's hear a little more from Frank Jones and Rick Fettig. <laughs> well, good. Well, what can you tell us about the song Sailor? Sailor was a great little tune. I think it's one of the best on the CD. Uh, I started writing that when I was living, well, I was homeless. I was living in California. I was in my truck. I wasn't completely homeless in that I had a place to go sleep at night. But I started writing that song... I had great hopes for it because I just loved the chord progression and the the changes that that I was able to put together on that. Once I sat down with my partner, Jeff Foster, we actually were able to go through the song and play it with his talents brought to bear. It became a whole different animal. Now, Jeff helped you on this album, didn't he? Yes, he did. He played a lot on this. Um, Well, you and Jeff do a little duo or something, don't you? Yeah, that was, this is actually... Foster Jones? Exactly, that's... Uh, fosterjones.net if you want to check out some of the stuff that we've been doing. But they're just 
Brown County Hours resident poet, Gunther Flum, with Lonely Parts Club. On Valentine's, now it ain't hard to send someone you love a card that sends some loving words their way and thoughts you'd never think or say. Or if you'd rather take the time than find a candy valentine and just make sure that you'll be handy to help them eat your heartfelt candy. And if it's in their means and powers, men will give their gals some flowers, then take her out and feed her dinner, and see if that don't work to win her. But where did this idea start that valentines are from the heart, and why was it the one selected when other organs were rejected? You'd never hear a gift or giver from your lungs or spleen or liver. And let's just face it, there's a lot of other body parts we've got that never get a special day where their organs on display. There's your kidneys and your bladder. Don't tell me them two don't matter. And name a day across the land with homage to the thyroid gland. And though we only got one nose, why, there's ten days for all our toes. And it might seem to sound insane, but where's the day we use our brain? So I ain't saying dump the hearts, but with so many body parts, there's just them others we might use and pick us other days to choose and see what kind of things we find of any size or different kind that we could celebrate and say each body part has got its day 
for Valentine's who've got our hearts, but what about our other parts? Do you suppose Abe Martin had any advice on how to win a gal? A woman would rather marry a poor provider any time than a poor listener. We invited Steve Miller back to tell us another true Brown County story. This is an interesting story from the early period of Brown County, and it's about the Frank Hornberger, the famous photographer, that there's so many stories there, but that's another day, that this is the evening that Frank Hornberger fell in love with Brown County. And I thought this might be an interesting story to tell. So this starts in 1918. Frank Hornberger was in Brown County, staying at the Ferguson Inn, Alley Ferguson's Inn. And he came here to be a, na- a nature photographer. So he was an outsider moving in. He was an outsider from Indianapolis writing for the Indianapolis News, and he thought it would be great for him to come down and make a career of nature photography. And that's what he was all about, the birds and the nature and the composition. And the people were interesting as portraits in his work, but he really didn't know them, and they didn't really know him very well and or trust him. And he kept telling that to Allie, and he said, how can I get in some of these houses to get to know these people? And she said, well, Frank, why don't you go with Doc Turner? He goes in their houses all the time. He's the doctor with his horse and buggy, and he goes out there. And I think if you befriended uh, Doc Turner, he would get you in some of those houses, and they would trust you if you were with the doc. So he goes, okay, that's a good idea. So he did. He got a hold of Doc Turner. As it happens, Doc Turner said, I'm going out uh, west of town tomorrow late afternoon. Uh, We got to be quick. There's a big storm coming. Uh, Meet me at the livery stable. So Frank did. Met him at the livery stable. There's his horse and buggy all ready to go. Blacksmith and the stable person had him ready to go. They head out west of town, up over Wadden Hill, down through Shake Rag Hollow, uh, milk sick bottoms all these wonderful names that are all stories in themselves and they came to this old cabin back at the edge of the valley doc turner tidies horse and buggy up at the maple tree and um in they went and frank had his camera and he thought well now i'm gonna get some flash photography here it's getting a little dim you know late in the day and dark clouds coming so he he was looking for composition but that night was different as the storm came in the wind the flashes of lightning it was like flash bulbs going off in frank's mind and he saw for the first time who these people were he really saw how they didn't have money and they didn't have electricity they they had their animals and their barns and their gardens and he saw jars of pickles and vegetables and he saw the herbs and the wood stove and the pile of wood and he, as he stared around the cabin as a flash of lightning would go off it was like his own flashbulb going off. He saw these people in this clear vision of who they really were. And these were real people who lived without money and lived with the seasons and the simple truths. And he, he said, for the first time in that one evening, I saw what it was that I wanted to do. I fell in love with these people and who they were, and I knew that that would be my mission from now on, is to really have meaning and reveal their lives and how they did it. He said, and Doc looked up, and he said, we got to go. The creeks are coming up. 
and we don't have much time to get back to town. We won't make it through Owl Creek. So Frank got really scared, got out to the horse and buggy. Doc tried to light those carbide lamps, couldn't get them lit. It was too wet. Wind was blowing, limbs were falling, and they got in the buggy, and they headed back towards town. And they came up to, started to come up to Owl Creek, flashes of lightning, and he was really scared. And the doc looked over at him. And with that hairy, the beard and the hat and the flashes going off, he said, I saw in his face that there was vision and strength. And he put his hand over, this strong hand, and he held my arm and he said, Frank, you're scared, but don't worry, we're going to make it back home. This horse has knows his way. We've done it many times. So as we went through Owl Creek and the water was coming up and there were sycamore limbs coming by, he said, I was so scared, but we made it through, came up out of that creek. And he said, as the, the storm clouds passed and the moon came out, he said, I, it all was revealed to me what I was going to do in my photography and reveal who these people were. And he said, that's the night that I fell in love with Brown County. It changed my whole vision of what I was doing forever. And now, station identification. This just in. Caller on Three Story Hill wants to speak with an officer about neighbors shooting guns this late when none of them has the sense of a rock. Between bouts of snow, we sent reporters Pam Rader, Susan Showalter, and Vera Grubbs out to interview the program director of the T.C. Steel Historical Site. Three of us are here from the Brown County Hour. Pam Rader. I'm Susan Showalter. Vera Grubbs. And we're here with Christine Atkinson. I'm the arts program developer at TC Steel State Historic Site. Can you tell us a little bit about your exhibit that you have now and some of your programs for this early spring and late winter? Now, this Arts and Crafts Moment Simplicity and Design exhibit will actually feature three rotations. The first uh, features artifacts currently at the site. Um, The second rotation will feature objects from the Indiana State Museum's collection. And then the third rotation will feature items from private collections. The first portion of the exhibit highlights artifacts and architecture from the arts and crafts movement. It uh, started November 2nd, 2010, and will run through March 30th, 2012. Uh, This tour would include uh, Rookwood, Overbeck, and Brown County pottery pieces, craftsman-style furniture, and some rare books, among other arts and crafts pieces owned by the Steels. So the first rotation is going on through April 30th, 2011. So this is a two-year exhibit. 
Are these items um, from the state museum, or are they on loan from private individuals? Or uh, the whole exhibit is a little of both. Um, the first are pieces that were owned by the Steels that are currently um, here at the site, but are typically away from the public's viewing. Mm-hmm. Indiana State Museum is part of the Department of Natural Resources, but we fall under the Indiana State Museum as a division. And there are 11 um, state historic sites. Starting our gardening series, we have a garden panel discussion, which is uh, going to be featuring mainly uh, the subject of garden design. Uh, We'll be uh, talking about using color, um, possibly edible plants, form and function in your garden. And we'd like to also look at how Selma Steele designed the gardens up here at the site and what her influences were. Um, especially from the arts and crafts movement, um, specifically Gertrude Jekyll. Sounds very interesting. Is the uh, are the gardens now? Are they replicas of her gardens, or have they been changed? They have been restored to what she had. Um, we have very great uh, detailed notes of of her designs and the flowers that she had up here, as well as they're um, depicted in Steele's paintings, as so we can identify the species by those. All the gardens here have been historically um, researched and have been restored. That's great. So, well, the date for the garden panel discussion uh, featuring the garden design is on March 10th at 6.30. Well, I know in March it is beautiful here with all the daffodils. The different species in that whole hillside. Um, the daffodils are, are definitely a splendor to come and, and see because they are lining the hillside. Uh, Selma Steele hired local boys to come and plant um, the daffodil bulbs for her. And um, one boy even took the cre- creative license to make his name in the daffodil. We are open year-round. Um, our hours are... Tuesday through Saturday, 9 to 5, and then Sundays, 1 to 5. We are closed on Mondays. Uh, There is a fee to um, tour the facilities, which would include the studio and the house, which you would see about 70 paintings in both locations, as well as original artifacts and furnishing. The grounds are free of charge, which we have 211 acres up here with five um, hiking trails. Any other events? In late February or early March. But uh, we do have a program the end of February uh, called uh, Virtue in Design Pottery Painting. It's on February 26th at 10 o'clock. There is a fee for that. It's, you can come and create your own pottery piece using pieces owned by the Steels as inspiration. Mary Jo Benedict with the latest glaze is going to teach participants a technique of overglazing. Uh, discover the history of the Selridge pottery and its significance to the steels and the arts and crafts movement. Uh, we are asking for registration ahead of time for that event. And can people go to your website and get all this information about upcoming classes? Yes. Um, our, our website is pretty easy. It's just www.tcsteel.org. How about we check in again with Rick and Frank? 
Well, the title of the CD is Moonlight Eyes, and that's mm-hmm. a song on there. You want to tell yeah. us something about that and why you chose that as the title? I was sitting on the on the bed of my truck on the tailgate one night, and it was a full moon. There was some kind of schwing ding going on over at the main house. I wasn't feeling real social at that point. Went out and sat on the tailgate of my truck and grabbed the guitar and wrote the song about an hour. So uh, you looked up, and there was the moon or something? It, it was, or there was, was the, the moon. It was huge. Duncan's Mill is a really nice little area in in northern california very conducive to me writing it reminded me a lot of brown county i knew it was a really good song it was one of those that you just has all the right feel to it again once i was able to get into the studio put the harmony parts on it that i liked put the uh, different uh, instrumentation that i wanted on it especially the stuff that jeff was doing again like sailor it took on a life of its own at that point i was i knew this is going to be the title track. This is where get the goosebumps. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, it was right there. <laughs> Had it dead on. Been great having you. Thanks. Appreciate you having me. In. When you're all alone at night, When the sun wakes you up in the day Are you pleased to see that come away If you've ever got too lonely and cry I'll be back again as the moonlight I The moonlight I Y'all
With all the work done around here this winter, a good stress buster was in order. How about a restorative session at Lee Edgren's yoga studio? I feel so much better, Lee. I really, I came in and I was achy. I said, I'm old, the snow and the freezing cold, and now I don't have any of that ache in me at all. After all the stress of trying to get the group together because of the weather, this is just what the doctor ordered. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Pam Rader. I'm here with Vera Grubbs and Lee Edgren. We just finished uh, restorative yoga. And um, Lee, I know there's a movement afoot to make Brown County a wellness, health and wellness retreat center. I wonder if you could say a few words about what you think the benefits of yoga are. You know, there are a lot of different approaches to yoga. Here at Riverlight Yoga, we do everything from the restorative yoga, which is essentially yoga without movement, to fairly strenuous yoga classes. The central focus of yoga was bringing the, the body, mind, spirit into some kind of balance and harmony. You know, there are the practices of yoga, and then there's the state of yoga. And that state of yoga is one of being at peace with whatever you're doing rather than pulled by the opposites, the right and left. There's, and then there are the practices of yoga, which are designed to take us into that balance and harmony. That's when we start thinking about things like lowering blood pressure and improving breathing patterns and improving relaxation. A lot of us have unconscious muscular holding in the body. My position is that yoga, you bring your spirituality, you bring your religious practice, you bring all your belief system with you to the yoga room, and there's no effort to change any of that in the way that we teach here. It's an opening to your truest, deepest self. We practice at the level of experience, not the level of doctrine. And so it should be a healing experience. I am one of only two uh, certified restorative yoga teachers in the state of Indiana. I've been in Nashville now, I think, for four years. And we are really happy with the studio that we're in now. Where are you located? It's 145 Van Buren Street South. I'm right behind Clearwater Gallery, right next to Grasshopper Flats. So if someone wanted to find out your schedule and begin taking yoga or try a class, how would they go about doing Uh, that? The schedule, there's a lot of information on the website. Which is? Riverlightyoga.com. So you wanted to know when the next restorative session is going to be? Yes, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be um, the last Saturday in February. You need to call 812-988-YOGA, 9642, to make a reservation. I'm interested in knowing what drew you to Brown County. I first came here in the 70s, and I felt like I had entered a super-saturated magic land. It was just 
the most incredible place that I had been, and I loved it. I loved the kind of raw energy of the people. It's one of the most creative, interesting, sparky places. People seem to be themselves in a very genuine way. I have found that I love being here. I love the people I've met. I love the people that come to the, to the studio. And over time, has this feeling stayed with you? Yes. Um, like a lot of people who have, who have memories of the 70s, you know, I, I'm in some ways sorry that it's been discovered and developed and has gotten so much busier. But I know that um, that, that too has, a, you know, a, a, an energy to it. It's just... Is there anything else you'd like to add? Well, I, I would love to see Brown County really think about moving in this direction of becoming a wellness center. We have the natural resources. We have the beautiful places to hike. You know, the people are trying to clean up the Salt Creek and great bike trails, and it's all here. A good note to end on. <laughs> Thank you very much, Thank Lee. Thank you so much, Pam. Be my valentine. You orbit past like the morning sun, and the gravity of your glory sucks the air away and leaves me naked as the moon. I hate you for that. How unattainable your innocent perfection seems. I ache to touch your brow, your ear, the line of your thigh. But your assurance and unassuming glory mock my unworthiness, and I am shy, abashed, ashamed to want you. I hate you for that, too. Because I am quite beautiful, too, inside, if you but knew but anyway, it is with this hopeless feeling of being all kinds of fool that, because there never was anyone quite so fair as you, that I must, for my sake, because I might regret it and hate myself forever if I did not ask if you won't, perhaps, please, be my valentine. Thanks for being with us. Tune in next time when the snow has melted and the planet comes back to life. If you have an idea for the show, want to be a part of the volunteer team, or for more extended interviews, or to stream this or any of our past shows, go to our website, browncountyhour.com. We want to thank the volunteers whose efforts make this show possible, including correspondents Pam Rader, Vera Grubbs, Susan Showalter, Kaylee Witt, and Rick Fettig. Also thanks to special voice talent, Linda Thomas. The Brown County Hour production team includes executive producer Chad Carruthers, managing producer Pam Rader, technical producer and webmaster Jeff Foster, associate producers Jeff Quick and Rick Fettig. Many thanks to the Brown County Historical Society for our studio space in the traditional arts building with a pat on the back to Pete Siebert and Julia Pearson. Theme music provided by Slats, Klug, and Friends. You've been listening to the Brown County Hour. Coming to you from deep in the woods of Brown County, Indiana. Celebrating the arts, culture, and nature that make this such a unique community. Visit us online at browncountyhour.com. The Brown County Hour is a production of WFHB, 
volunteer-powered, listener-supported community radio for South Central Indiana. Take me back, back to my home, Brown County home.